Hello, everyone. Welcome once again to another edition of Under the Macroscope, our weekly podcast. And good to have uh, Skybound Capital's chief strategist in the London office, Jabir Sadawala, with us again. We allowed him a, a two-week break, and then he was back with a bang last week. Uh, we're going to talk a, a little bit later in the podcast about uh, sovereign wealth funds and some of the challenges that they are facing at the moment. Uh, but before then, uh, a discussion around uh, European stocks that have had um, quite a week uh, and rising to extremely high levels. Uh, Jabir, what does this tell us about what's going on globally? Is this uh, a return uh, to investor confidence across the board? Um, hi, Matt. Uh, no, I, I, think, um, I think it tells us that the investor world is a little bit deluded right now, to be honest. I mean, um, so, you know, if you if you dial back a bit here, we've got a situation where um, quite a few emerging market central banks have been steadily hiking rates, some quite, you know, quite overtly. Um, and then on top of that, we we have uh, inflation data coming out of pretty much everywhere showing that it's, it's on the rise. Central banks constantly telling us that, no, it's all transitory. You don't need to worry about anything. Um, and then the much awaited US news yesterday, again on inflation, which um, shot through the roof, uh, both at a headline level where it's now rising at the rate of um, 5% per annum. Um, that hasn't been seen in a long time. Um, and the core rate itself is still well over 3%. Um, in fact, just sort of checking through my, uh, my data, I mean, it's, yeah, you've got headline inflation, which rose 0.6% on the month to 5% year on year. Um, and then you've got uh, core inflation, so that excludes food and energy, which rose by an even higher 0.7% month on month to 3.8% per annum. Now remember, you know, whichever measure you take, this is well in excess of the Fed's target range of around 2%. That's typically been their upper level. Um, now, I've been trying to sort of figure out why markets have reacted the way they have. I mean, for a start, US treasuries really dropped quite significantly. So I'm talking about the yields now. In other words, the price of treasuries went up. Remember, they have that inverse relationship uh, to the point that the US 10-year has now suddenly settled at around 1.45 or thereabouts. You know, it's a very big drop. Um, it should have been the opposite. It should have gone up significantly, which in turn takes its toll on the equity market. Instead, it's dropped, which means equity markets are thinking, great, we're back to the good times again. Now, we might be, I don't know, maybe it is transitory, but what we do know is at the moment, the momentum in inflation is definitely upwards. I don't think we'll really find out whether it's transitory or more permanent uh, until by about year end. Um, yes, it's true that a lot of the end, uh, inflation increases has been down to energy. But even now they're running out of rhetoric there. I mean, you know, they're saying that they're saying that, OK, well, that will eventually pass through. Um, and yet we have oil prices at uh, at around seventy dollars to the barrel. And I think the potential for it to go up is still quite significant. If you look at 
um, US stockpiles, uh, they are depleting now, which means that they've got to ramp up. And if you look at charts of the rig count, the oil rig count, particularly the whole shale oil industry, it hasn't picked up enough to actually churn out more oil from the ground. So whilst we're waiting for an investment in CapEx there, if we get it at all, um, you know, demand is far exceeding supply. That's the, you know, that, that, that's, that's the bottom line. So I think energy still got more room to run upwards, um, which will disappoint people who think that um, it's, it's had its day. But even energy aside, I mean, look at some of the other components, food, for instance. You know, the FAO issued another release yesterday that um, who suffers the most? It's the EM countries. We've spoken about this uh, before. Um, and then usually the final stage is wages. You know, and when wages start to increase on a more regular level, that's when inflation goes from transitory to structural. Um, and now more and more economists are starting to argue that this could be the case. So coming back to what you started with, European shares, and indeed, you know, pretty much across the globe, um, I don't get it. I just don't get it. But um, uh, clearly when yields drop, suddenly, um, you know, growth and all of that is back in vogue. Um, and suddenly markets have started to go up. But I would really exercise caution here. Um, if people think that, you see, the, the problem, one of the big problems here is that I think people are looking at the US job numbers and thinking, and originally I remember saying that, you know, over this quarter, um, I, I would expect to see something like a million new jobs created per month. And we're well short of that. But the reason we're well short of it is actually not positive news, it's negative news. It's because whilst companies are crying out for labor and offering more and more, we talked about, you know, McDonald's last week. Um, the reality is there are still people uh, either on job benefits um, or just unable for whatever reason to get back into the market yet. Um, and that's how do you fill that temporary gap? This is the issue that I have. Um, you can't suddenly make robots in, in, in rapid time. You can't just open the borders you know, in a COVID environment and let migrants come in. And anyway, there's a sovereignty issue there. Um, so what happens? You know, this is now starting to feed through. So <clears throat> um, I think the US uh, unemployment numbers are a red herring insofar as they're not suggesting in any shape or form that this is going to be a slower recovery. It's saying the problems are far more acute and when people get off the job benefits programs and when more and more people get back into the labor market and when enough places have opened up that parents can then leave their kids at nurseries again, that's when you'll see a massive rise in uh, employment numbers. That's when it'll come through. But right now we have a disconnect. I must say, I read what seemed to be a fairly simplistic assessment of this surge in European stocks. Uh, saying that it was really uh, off the back of uh, reduced concern around inflation. But that's certainly not your view. Listen. No, no, it's, it's not my view at all. And I, I think it's a bit of a red herring. So when you take the, you know, people, uh, the, the central banks have been doing well, a pretty remarkable job trying to talk markets down. 
um, and they have the power to do that. You know, it's some I think some investors take what they say as absolute gospel. And then on top of that, people have looked at the unemployment numbers, as I mentioned earlier, and assumed that, oh, actually, it's not that bad. So recently, week before last, this talk about um, uh, possible tapering uh, in, in money printing, well, that's all, that's all been put back for now. So, you know, you get the opposite, you get the reversal in markets. But there is nothing concrete out there to suggest to me that markets are warranted. I mean, it, it just, you know, justify going up um, when we've got clear inflation worries brewing in the system. Now, if it's an argument that, okay, look, um, you know, inflation is a good sign because that shows that growth is stellar, and um, you know, there's enough power in the economy to keep things going, then that's certainly a plausible argument. Not sure that I agree with it, but it's certainly plausible. But it's almost like um, uh, investors are turning a blind eye to what I think is, you know, are the real facts. And they're just assuming uh, on the spur of the moment that because yields have gone down, there's nothing to worry about. Um, and inflation is not a worry. Um, I, it's not how I see it. I mentioned at the start of the podcast, we were going to refer to a, a topic that you raised with me over the previous week around sovereign wealth funds and, and the challenges that uh, some of them are facing uh, in the current macro environment. Would you care to elaborate on that one? Yeah, yeah. So um, it was just some stats that I started Googling and I came across. Um, so, for instance, the, the world's top 100 sovereign wealth funds um, come to total around eight and a half trillion dollars. I mean, it's staggering. It's, it's a huge sum. Now, leader of the pack is Norway's sovereign wealth fund. That's about $1.3 trillion. Um, and they have returned, ever since it became a sovereign wealth fund in 1998, they have been returning an annualized 4.42%. Uh, their target, their long-term target has always been 4%. Now, the challenge they, they face is that much of that has come from the last decade. Well, as we know, the last decade has been an absolute boom time. You know, we've had record low interest rates, record low inflation, record lo uh, low yields, uh, record low unemployment. So is that really going to carry on? I mean, I think we can safely say it's not. Um, so what do they do? with so much money. I mean, another one is an example, you know, Adia also being an oil rich country. Uh, so that's the Abu Dhabi Investment Authority. Um, it's not as big as Norway's, but still very sizable. I mean, it's, it totals around uh, just shy of $900 billion. Um, you know, they, they, have the same, they have the same issues, frankly. Uh, it was registered, um, they've registered returns over 20 years of 4.8%. So closer to Norway's and over 30 years, because they've been running that much longer, really, 6.6. Um, .6. So you, it begs the question, what do you do? Because if you're in their shoes, you've got to still try and make returns. And where are they going to even if they want to maintain those levels of returns, which they've admitted is going to be a challenge. Um, and frankly, I don't find those levels of returns particularly enticing. Um, it's not something that would lure me to markets. Um, well, they're too big to go to the small guys because I 
just don't think they want that headache on their books. You know, there's what's the point of allocating to a, a hundred, two hundred, three hundred million dollar fund? Um, they won't even remember they've got it on their balance sheet. And on the other hand, if you go to the ultra large funds who are awash with cash anyway, that their problem is that they can't deploy the stuff. Well, how's how's that going to benefit the SWFs? So really, I think the 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 options they have are going to be quite limited. Mm. Um, they've got to look at much bigger cash absorbing projects like infrastructure. And I think this is going to be the big theme going forward now. You know, we're seeing and on the back of that commodities are going to do uh, even better as far as I'm concerned. Um, that's where that's really their only potential saving grace. Um, and with it comes one other risk, which is concentration risk, because how much do they end up allocating to you know any one particular sector? Mm. So um, now I, th I think um, I, th I think they alone can change markets in quite a significant way. Um, whereas you know they, they until now everyone's been able to play the same game. Yeah, fascinating topic to to look out for. It's one of it, it's one of those genuinely macro issues. The hunt for yield is on, uh, but capacity uh, could be a problem, as you say, concentration risk. So a lot of factors contributing there. As always, fascinating. I'll tell you what else I'm fascinated about, Jabir, is uh, tuning in to find out more about what happened in Cornwall. <laughs> at the G7 summit and maybe the first question is well um, did you quarantine for two weeks on the way in all of you um, <laughs> no I say that tongue-in-cheek but it will be interesting to see what has gone on behind closed doors and and how much of what did go on behind closed doors emerges and and how that is going to play out uh, across the rest of the world so yeah, we'll keep an eye on that and uh, all these other topics that, uh, that you have raised with us today. Uh, a reminder to all of you that the podcast is available on Apple, Spotify and the Google podcast platform for Android and all past editions of the Under the Macroscope podcast available at Skybound Capital's website, www.skyboundcapital.com. Until next time on Under the Macroscope, have a great week.